Hey everyone, I'm Brenda. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today, we have on with us Kayla Nielsen. She is the founder of Go Light Our World, a nonprofit dedicated to diminishing poverty with sustainable solar solutions, and the founder of Glow Yoga Retreats. She's a yoga instructor. She's a podcast host and another new business owner, which we're going to talk about your very new endeavor, which looks unbelievable. So, so much to talk about. Hey, Kayla, thank you for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are so excited. I'm especially excited to talk to you about some yoga things. Um, But first off, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, and how old you are. Yeah. So like you said, my name is Kayla. I am originally from Northern California. I'm actually home right now in South Lake Tahoe. I'm so happy to be back. And I just turned 33. I guess not just, it was in May, but it feels like that was Uh yesterday. (laughs) No, that was was just. Yes. Somewhat recently turned 33 and it kind of feels like a, like it's going to be a good year. Something about 33. I'm just mm. really feeling the double numbers. So yeah. Wow, I'm into that's it. gotta be lucky. Yes. And you're, are you a Taurus? Yes. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Very Taurus. I'm yes. a Taurus rising. So. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Julia is like super, super into astrology lately. It's been a, a true passion. And it's funny because I, I never really, I don't know, it sounds like ignorant. I never really like understood it really, but I feel like once you actually start to understand and like allow yourself to kind of like open your eyes to the possibilities of what it can reflect, it's it's really cool. I am no professional by any means, but Julia shed some light on it for me. So it's been cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it gets so intricate too, you know, like just knowing your sun sign is the bare, bare bones. But then, like you said, knowing your rising, your moon, and even those three that are the kind of most talked about is still the bare minimum. But when yeah. you really do chart reading, it's like almost uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortably seen. I know. I, I like tell everyone, I'm like, I just want a chart reading. Like, it's all I want. I want someone to read my chart. I'm like, I could read my own kind of, but like, it's not, it's not the same. I need someone to do it. Oh no. It's cool though. Cause I feel like it also like allows me and Julia were sitting uh, avoiding work that we had to do the other day. And she was reading to me from like a book that she has. And I was like, Whoa, I've never thought about this this way. But anyway, we'll get all into those things. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that forever. Back to you. Back to you. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story. Where do you feel like this passion of yours for the earth and like sustainable solutions and all those lovely things and also what brought you to yoga? Yeah. So okay, starting with the yoga, my mom is also a teacher. So she started teaching me when I was 12, actually. So I kind of have grown up with it and you know, I just said I'm 33. So I've been practicing physically for over 20 years now. I've only been a teacher for seven years. So I I say only because in the teaching world, that is still relatively new. I would say anything under 10 years, you're still kind of a new teacher. Um, But yeah, I've physically been practicing for a long time and emphasizing the physical part of it because when I was young, you know, was just purely physical. It was some, it was also something I could do to connect with my mom. I would go to her 6am classes which blows my mind. Um, And I was always athletic. So it was just kind of something to counteract maybe the more high impact things that I was doing, something to keep my flexibility up. Like I said, connect with my mom, but it was very physically focused and it stayed that way throughout high school. And as a young child, I wasn't doing it regularly by any means. It wasn't like the super dedicated (laughs) child about yoga at all. I was pretty wild. Um, And then in college, same thing. We had a college gym. And so once in a while I would take classes there, but it was very casual, still physically focused, just something to stay in shape. And it didn't really start to transform into a more holistic practice for me or, you know, that mind, body, spirit connection that yoga is really all about until 
I, I don't know exactly how old I was, but my early 20s, it was after college, definitely, probably most specifically around 24, 25, when I started deepening my meditation practice independently of yoga or independently of the physical yoga practice. So from there, things just kind of continue to grow. And that kind of intertwines with the other question that you asked as far as how I became so interested in helping the earth and this, this kind of idea of more sustainable options. So after I graduated from school, I graduated with an English degree. I was originally an English teacher and I didn't really want to jump straight into work. And so I left for six months and did a big travel, my first travel solo. I went to Ghana in West Africa and I taught there for a semester. And when I was there, it just kind of changed the entire trajectory of my life. It opened my eyes, of course, to so many new experiences, ways of life. I traveled as a child. My parents are big travelers, but never on my own. Very different experience. This was also, I think, 11 years, almost 12 years ago now. So the connectivity back then, you didn't have Wi-Fi on your phone. I only talked to my parents one time on the phone, and I had to borrow someone's. I surprised them on Thanksgiving and called them. So you're not connected the same way that you are now. You're really isolated. But it was it was a huge learning experience for me on all of these different levels because of that. And it also made me realize I never wanted to teach in an American classroom again. So I still love teaching. And at this point, I was also completely bitten by the travel bug and just wanted to be traveling as much as possible. But then also kind of seeing in some of these programs the downside of having shorter term volunteers come in or the whole kind of volunteerism sector that was really yeah. starting to boom at that time. Mm -hmm. And how can we work together to create more long lasting solutions, the whole kind of principle of teaching a person to fish rather than giving them the fish. So it kind of just got my wheels spinning then. And at the time I just graduated from university. So I had no money at all. And I had pretty much spent all of it to do this, this trip. And when I came back, I just needed to get a job and try to work so that I can leave again as soon as possible. And I started working for a nonprofit. So I got some pretty good experience there. It was a nonprofit based here in the US. And I did all of their event planning and fundraising and the kind of PR, which was super helpful and taught yeah. me a lot but it's a nonprofit. So I was still making next to nothing. No money. <laughs> yeah. And so I was really living paycheck to paycheck. And my goal was to be able to leave and travel again as soon as possible. So after about six months, I left there. That was my only office job I've ever had. And that was also brutal for me just sitting in an office, staring at a computer. I yeah. Felt with someone with the travel bug, like, no, no. Yeah. So I ended up becoming a bartender at night and I was a nanny during the day because I still love and still do working with kids and those two together, you make a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I would be working around the clock because I had the day job and the night job pretty much working every day. I was able to save a lot of money. And at the same time, I fell into a relationship that long story short, ended up being really abusive. And we were together for about a year and a half. On my 24th birthday, it had this really explosive ending. I ended up in the hospital. He got arrested. Mm -hmm. And then there was this nine-month court case that ensued wow. after that. So it was a really, as you can imagine, difficult time. And everything just kind of shifted at this point. So I had actually already had a trip back to Kenya and Uganda this time and other parts of Asia planned before that had happened with him. It was also kind of an escape plan because I felt like the only way I could really get away from him was to move to the other side of the world. Yeah. And um, so I had to spend the summer in physical therapy. And then after that, I still ended up going on this trip that I had planned. And again, I was teaching at this time, but the organization I was working with was really encouraging people to implement projects more like the ones that I ended up growing that were sustainable, that had this long lasting effect that weren't just coming in and out. And that was it. And so that was really the first kind of taste that I had. I was there for about four months in Kenya. And so 
we were able to implement some really cool agriculture projects, projects with the women's group that was already existing there, some things within the school that were through microloans and things that carried on and succeeded with or without my presence. And also this big emphasis in financial planning and everything like that. So I was gone again for six months, came back to the States for the trial because I was subpoenaed as the main witness. Went through the trial for two weeks. It was a horrible experience and he ended up being not guilty of everything. So then that was another big, just like blow. Because it kind of felt like, okay, all of this will, it will be worth it once I get justice. What I was really working towards. And then when that happened, it was just, it kind of shattered me all over again. Absolutely. So I fell into a pretty deep depression for a while and um, I was staying with my parents and one day I was just having this long walk and talk with my dad and he had just kind of said like, look, I know you're really sad about this, but the thing is, is that the longer that you stay in the state that you're in now, you're still giving your power to this person. And the silver lining is that it's over. So you can do whatever you want to do. You don't have, I know you don't want to be in the States. You don't have to be here. You've been talking about starting your own nonprofit. There's nothing holding you back now. Like go do it. And so it just kind of flipped something in my mind. I was like, yeah, yeah, I I am going to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's actually when I started Glow, which is Go Light Our World. So about six weeks later, I sold whatever remaining things I had left and moved to Kenya. I just got a one-way ticket there, moved to Kenya and started Glow. And at the time it didn't have only a solar focus because at the time I was still really young. I was only 24 and just, I wanted to do everything. It was really hard for me to say no, especially when you're living in those communities. How do, if someone comes to you with a need, how can you say, no, sorry, that's not what I do. It was really hard for me to have those kind of boundaries and have that singular focus. So at the time I was doing total community rehabilitation projects. And from there through a lot of ups and downs had kind of narrowed it down to a solar focus, realizing that solar has this huge ripple effect on so many areas. So that need of not wanting to say no to certain things, I realized that I was able to really maybe not directly say yes and help them with a specific, okay, here's money for your kid's tuition versus, okay, if you don't have to pay for kerosene anymore because your light source is now free from the sun, you can save all of the money you were spending on kerosene and put that towards your kid's tuition. So it was having all of these ripple effects, which mostly were financial. So that was that kind of a long-winded version of how, how I got there. My goodness. Thank you for being so honest and yeah, like open you. with us. I'm like so touched by your story. Um, and I feel like s- sincerely, every piece of it had like little bits of pieces of things that I feel like people in their 20s or even in any aspect of their life go through, like whether it's a huge life transition, ending up somewhere you didn't expect to be, finding peace in movement, financial stress, like abusive relationships, mental health struggles, like all these different things that just so many people could relate to. So honestly, I don't even know what direction to go in at this point, but thank you for your <laughs> no, vulnerability. Yeah, I, I think, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing all of those pieces in your life. I think one of the biggest things that Brenda and I have you know, seen through navigating it ourselves and we're 25 and, um, you know, by getting to do this show, it's like those, these, at least these first half years of your twenties are just like, you think they're kind of going to be one thing. You went to school for something. You think that's what you're going to do. And then it like totally is probably usually not that, or like not if it is that it's not usually the way you thought it would be or like there's these other things going on and I feel like that's the biggest thing we're noticing in these like early years of your 20s is it's just like it's really just not you just really can't control it like you just don't really know where life is going to take you and I think like Brenda said your story kind of encompasses so many even if it's not as extreme even if it's not someone like traveling so much or having you know an abusive relationship I think every 20 young 20 something year old can relate to that in some level and I'm curious because your first half of your 20s was a little more like untraditional like you were not untraditional Mm -hmm. it's actually what most people do but it's not the what we think the traditional paths should be of like 
you graduate and then you have your job and then you like, you know, start down that path because it was like you were traveling and you were doing part-time work Mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. Did you ever feel that you were like comparing yourself to other 20 year olds around you or that you felt like there was a pressure to be on a certain type of path or were you kind of just like this? Did you have a knowing that like this was kind of the right thing? Yeah, it's a good question because it, so, I mean, I definitely had the knowing that it was the right thing. That's probably back to the Taurus stubbornness. I'm very clear about my sense of self, even if it is very different than what I see around me. So, um, I mean, early on that initial travel that I did right out of school, I actually graduate. Most of my friends took five years to graduate. I graduated in four. So most of them were still in school. I didn't feel a big separation at that point. But pretty much all of my friends, once they graduated, graduated, went into some sort of corporate structure mm-hmm. or that more linear path that you're talking about. And earlier on, it was noticeable that I was doing something different, but I think people just thought it was a phase. And then as time went on, it was sort of like, oh no, this is really what you're doing. And this is really your life. And I never really felt this sense of comparison where it made me feel bad about myself. I noticed a difference in what we were doing and the divide between my friends and I, just as far as what we related and connected on and to was growing wider. And we more just connected to the friendship that we had before. And I'm still friends with some of those people, but since then the divide has become so big. It's almost like we just are living such different lives and not that you have to be living the same as your friends in order to connect, but it it does make a difference. There were a lot of times that, especially I would say by mid to later twenties, people would always comment, how are you ever going to meet someone if you keep doing this? And I would just look at them like, I could never imagine giving up my life. This is what I love just to meet someone. I've never actually had a problem meeting anyone while I travel. I've had multiple partners while I'm traveling. And then if you gave it up and you met someone doing something you didn't really want to do, it probably wouldn't really be a compatible person for you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so interesting. And I'm I'm glad you brought up the friends thing because it's something that we get a lot of questions about when people write into us about either making new friends in your 20s or letting mm-hmm. go of relationships in your 20s because it is like it when you really do start to I think you start to become you know more you mm-hmm. based on like your experiences and then just age and and whatever you choose to do for work or where you want to live um, but I think that that's a lot of it's that's a hard thing for a lot of women in their 20s to deal with yeah it is hard and It's, I mean, especially because my college experience was very quintessential college in a sorority, huge party school, you know, and like I said, I am still friends with some of those people, but at the time we were connecting on a very party level. And so there was still depth to our relationship, but we hadn't really transitioned out of that party phase yet. And I transitioned out of it, I would say sooner than a lot of my friends, just because my life went a very different direction. And then also because they still had this connection of when we were meeting outside of work, they still were always talking about work because all of their jobs kind of overlap somehow or their roles were the same. And I'm just like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but this sounds really boring. (laughs) I'd rather be doing something else. Yeah. yeah. They didn't know what to talk to me about because they're like, she does something I don't know she's running around she's kind of weird you know but they they still is this love there but it was just yeah it it wasn't this need of you know either one of us is right or wrong we just were very different at our definitely and I love that you were able to really like respect and honor what it is that you wanted and you needed after you know doing the best that you could to heal through some really difficult stuff with your previous relationship because I think so especially with how heavy societal pressure is and how heavily we can take on other people's expectations and opinions. I think so many people in this world sacrifice what they want, whether it is for potential love um, or whether it is for just like pleasing other people without them even realizing it or thinking that their version of how they want to live their life is inferior to someone else's when like I hear your story and I'm like, dang, that's cool. You know, where I think a lot of people 
you know, we're so fixated on a specific path when really like you were able to find so much joy, success, fulfillment, everything from choosing something that might look different from someone else, but you know, you honored what was right for you. And what do you think gave you, was it that moment uh, with your dad? I think you said that gave you the courage to like make that decision to choose what you needed to do for you. Um, like, I guess for someone that's listening and is just debating between making the, the choice to honor something that might be different from a traditional path versus, you know, sticking to the traditional path, like what advice would you give them? Mm-hmm. I think that, so the moment for me, definitely with my dad, but even it was deeper than that, because I think being in that relationship that I was talking about, I had lost a huge sense of myself Mm -hmm. purposely to be in that relationship. I knew, you know, that wasn't the first time it had been abusive just because that was the first time he was caught. And so I knew the whole time that I was in this toxic cycle, I knew that I wasn't treating myself well by choosing to be with this person. And I was constantly overriding that. So I think part of that kind of overcorrection was I'm never going to do that again. I'm always going to choose me because when I didn't choose me, look at what happened, you know, it was this really bad situation. And I, I also too had had those almost two years of saving. So I had this financial cushion, which gave me a lot more flexibility and privilege that I know not everybody has it isn't always easy to just be like oh yeah just quit your job and leave and see what happens (laughs) yeah absolutely I kind of had things were already sort of lined up for me to be able to do that which made it easier and I think when you have that foundational piece already built then it makes it easier and maybe a little less scary to jump because you're like well I'm fine because I have this cushion I'm fine because my family was always very supportive. Like I said, my parents are big travelers. So I had support. I had the financial stability. So it it did make it a little bit easier for me. Yeah. And if you are in that position of, I want to do this, but I don't know what to do, whether it is traveling or not. I think when you want something badly enough, then you will prioritize it to make it happen. I definitely did that. I mean, I cut out any anything that was considered an extracurricular cost. I was really only spending money on rent, food, and gas for my car Mm. and saying no to so many events, saying no to everything, saving every last penny that I could because I wanted so badly to leave. And I knew that $5 I saved this day will stretch me an entire day somewhere else. Mm. So I think it's like budgeting is a really big part of it and being making the commitment to yourself first and fulfilling that commitment in yourself, which that in and of itself helps to build confidence because you're showing yourself that I said I was going to do this and now I'm doing it. Yeah. And now I feel sure about myself. Totally, totally. I love what you just said about like being willing to go at any length for your goal. And that doesn't mean adding obviously negative pressure to the point where it's counterproductive, but Um, Julie and I were talking about this last night about when you are so deeply committed to a goal, when it is so tied to your purpose, you know, doing something that doesn't align with that goal isn't an option. Like it's almost like brain does not compute (laughs) Um, because you're like, I want this so freaking badly. And of course it doesn't mean running yourself to the ground, but like making things that one might consider from the outside looking in as a sacrifice. When for you, you look at it as an investment in your future self, in this future version of your life. Um, and this wasn't really the direction I expected to take the episode in at all, but I'm just curious because I, I know for listeners that write into us and ask us questions about relationships and abusive relationships and stuff, just because in this day and age, we see love so highly and different types of love and all of that. Um, and you said something specifically about like choosing to override or excuse, um, certain aspects of your relationship. If you're comfortable talking about this, what do you think? you know, why do you think you made those choices to override? And I guess for anyone that's in that position, like what, you know, what tools do you think could serve them to make the choice to choose them before it gets to a more like escalated point, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for my specific situation, I really was choosing to override mostly because when I got into this relationship, it already caused some issues with some of my really close friendships. So there was this first, and it even caused some issues with my parents, just because initially when we first got together, I was making some not so great choices that were hurting people around me in order to be in this relationship. Mm -hmm. So people, some, some of the closest people around me were kind of mad at me. And the first time that he physically hurt me was about 
a month into the relationship. It was really soon. And I had this thought of, first of all, you know, oh, you know, this was a one-off thing. I had actually known this person for four years prior and he never showed any signs of anything like this. We were close friends. So I, there was that first thing of, oh, this is a mistake. This isn't the way, maybe he didn't mean it that way. But then also I've already sacrificed so much or hurt these people around me. So this has to work. And also this feeling of, I didn't necessarily put off my dream of wanting to leave and travel again, but it had been delayed because originally I was planning on living at home with my parents so I could save all of, you know, majority of my money and not have to pay for rent. And when I got in a relationship with him, I was then living outside of my parents because it was in a different city and paying for rent. So there was this kind of thing of, I've put off my, my own goals and my own wants and desires. So this has to work. Like I've already sacrificed all this stuff. So this has to work. It's not an option for it not to work because then these sacrifices that I've made won't be worth it. Yeah. And this, this feeling of, I want to know that this is worth it. I want to know that this is the right thing. So it was really, and I've actually shared a, a podcast episode on this, on my own show that was talking all about this this exact topic of how everything that I was doing in that situation was really overriding my intuition because intuitively right away, of course, my gut is telling me you're in danger. Like this is true primal intuition of you're in danger. You should leave. And I'm pushing it down or numbing it out with drugs, alcohol, whatever, you know, just telling it, no, 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 no. And when you do that repeatedly for a long time, it, it, the biggest side effect for me was that it also, it really hindered my ability to trust myself, which was kind of the scariest feeling after of like, whoa, I, how how did I get here? First of all. And if I got here, then I can't trust myself to make any choices because I clearly can't tell right from wrong. And even if I can, I'm not going to make the right choice. So since that happened, it's really been this ongoing process of healing my connection to my intuition and learning to trust myself again and and practicing that through like really little things that could be with checking in with the way that you feel before you eat, while you're eating, after you eat, you know, what do I actually want right now? Or checking in with just little moments throughout throughout your day, how do I actually feel or if you get an offer about something like you, you know, you guys message me if I really check in with myself and it's like, does this feel like a good fit for me? Do I want to do this? And having those little check-in moments to see what is really aligned with you, I think is really helpful, but that's easily overridden when you are in a manipulative kind of brainwashing situation as an abusive relationship. So it's, it is really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for for sharing all of that. Um, I also like recently was out of a relationship, which wasn't physically abusive, but was toxic. And I definitely lost a lot of myself and like pushed a lot of my dreams down um, Mm -hmm. for the sake of trying to make the relationship work. And at the and I didn't I felt a lot of shame after because I was like, how did I not realize that I was like doing that so much? Because I always had this belief that like, okay, if I take care of all this first, then I can do like, then I can focus on me. Like then all the things that I have wanted my whole life, like then I can, I can make that happen. Like, but I can just like get this settled and like get this like squared away. and, And then that, and I didn't, because I always had that little voice in the back of my head, I didn't re I didn't really recognize even though I I did in my gut I didn't allow myself to see and I think that's really the key I didn't allow myself to see like how much of myself I was sacrificing for mm-hmm. the sake of the relationship and um to kind of tie it to because something that saved me a lot after was yoga and turning to yoga as um as a mind body connection thing and I, uh, similarly as well like I always kind of did it like I did it a little bit in high school and did it a little bit in college but it was also always like a physical thing um but really has changed my life since committing to a practice of it in terms of like mind body connection and also like how what you do on the mat like really does translate to your life so I'm curious for you how that played a role in your healing process um also if you would, could talk if you don't mind a little bit about your forgiveness process because mm-hmm. you obviously didn't get the closure that was deserved um mm-hmm. so I'm curious about how you 
chose to let go and forgive so that you can move on with your life. Yeah. I mean, the forgiveness process I think is ongoing for me. Sometimes it's almost like, even if I sit and think about it too much, I'll, I'll still feel bitterness at the situation. And so it's almost like a constant practice and this constant, the same way that balance, you don't just arrive at this place of balance and then you're there and you're like, I'm balanced, here I am. It's this constant practice where you're kind of swinging side to side and trying to find that middle ground. So for me, at least forgiveness in this situation, not just with him specifically, with him specifically, I do feel that forgiveness has happened. It's more um, systemically and this kind of the judicial system and the flaws there that I do feel this kind of bitterness towards still. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the forgiveness process, I really, I would say healed a lot through meditation, just my own meditation, some guided meditation, but I've, I've been always more drawn to my own meditation practice. Sometimes I find the guided ones to be a little bit too distracting. So just really sitting with that, a lot of visualization, feeling, I'm very somatic, feeling into where do I feel forgiveness in my body? How can I access that? How does it feel to live more from that space, how to let some of it go, to sit with it, maybe feel all of that bitterness, resentment, anger, all of that, feel it completely, and then let it kind of wash through you. Um, After immediately after I think yoga for me was still relatively physical like I said some of the physical injuries that I had from that instance with him I was recovering for for the whole summer I was in physical therapy so I was physically doing yoga some of my favorite things I wasn't able to do because one of the worst injuries was to my hand so I wasn't able to do a lot Um, my meditation practice really started the year after and it was really through that separate meditation practice, not just sitting in Shavasana after physically doing a lot of yoga, that things just became a little bit more deep for me. And I think also too, because at this point I'm traveling, living out of a backpack, again, connectivity is not the same as it is now. So I didn't have access to, even if, of course, YouTube was around back then. And even if there were classes on YouTube, I would not have strong enough Wi-Fi wherever I was, if there was Wi-Fi at all, to be able to stream a class or do anything the way that we can now. So I really developed a super strong self-practice. And that was when things started to change a lot for me because I was just feeling so much more into my experience than I had ever been able to before. It's I, I do love guided yoga classes and I still go to them sometimes, but I really feel so connected to my self-practice. And I think that too is what has amplified my teaching as well. But really it kind of got me to the core of what yoga is all about beyond just the physical expression. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I personally, I don't, I don't practice yoga in the way that Julia does. It's something that, um, something that I would like to do more of. I do other types of exercises and stuff. And honestly, I think it's just because I, you know, I haven't gotten to the right like mindset or experience. I have like all these limiting beliefs around like how I'm not quote unquote good at yoga, which I know is not the purpose, um, of it at all, but it's just interesting how we can get like in those mental blocks and stuff. Um, but I wanted to touch on what you mentioned when it comes to allowing yourself to feel feelings, because I just think it's something that sounds so simple, but is so difficult to actually do. Like, I think we ultimately end up feeling our feelings when there's no other choice and they like explode out of us. You know, I'm a very emotional, empathetic person, but I realize even with myself, like very rarely do I just sit and be like, this is what I'm feeling and just allow myself to experience it, you know? Um, And I think a lot of that does come with like you had so much time where you were most connected to yourself, but disconnected from the rest of the world or other people. And I think that the technology that we have is beautiful and it connects in a lot of ways, but it does disconnect us not only from like it disconnects us from ourselves because we constantly feel like we have to be on. Like I was listening to a podcast the other day about being bored and being comfortable with like being bored and alone with your thoughts. And I think that even for the most at least for people that we think are self-aware or intuitive or whatever, like I would consider myself to be highly self-aware, but I very rarely am just sitting with my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if it's because I'm scared of them. I don't know if it's because like anxiety can like run amok in our minds, whatever it is we want to say, but it's just so fascinating because 
it really lessens the way that we're able to, to be connected with ourselves. And I think that's what we use. Like I personally have had in the past a difficult relationship with food growing up. And I find that a lot of times when I turned to that, it was to avoid feelings of anxiety, even though choosing to turn to food would create more anxiety within me. <laughs> so it's, yeah. It, yeah. I think that a lot of those numbing mechanisms uh, tend to do exactly that, whether it's food, alcohol, drugs, even exercise, you know, things that could be good for us even, but when it's in excess, it ends up doing the exact thing that we're trying to run from, which is kind of ironic. And I think a lot of that not wanting to sit with our own thoughts is really tied to the emphasis of hustle productivity culture too. It's almost like, why would I do that? Like, what am I going to benefit from? I need to be multitasking and doing all of these things at once and listening to a podcast while I'm doing this so that I'm taking all these boxes in just one minute and just sitting in stillness seems pointless. Yeah. But it's like so, tra- it's like so transformational. It's yeah. crazy. Like I, I, Sometimes I'm like, am I sitting with my thoughts too much? Like lately my morning routine has been like so ridiculously long. Like I meditate and then I journal and then I think about it. And then like, I'm like, okay, Julie, maybe, maybe now also you're changing this, but it, I'm curious. Cause I loved what you said about your own, you know, developing your own practice, what really worked for you. We talk a lot about morning routines and practices. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you encourage a young woman to, find a practice that works for her, develop, uh, a, you know, whether it is yoga or exercise or journaling or whatever it is. Um, whereas like the, for someone who wants to start to develop a practice that works for them, whether they're healing from something or just want some more structure like that, um, in their day to help set them up for success, where would you tell her to start? So it's funny that you asked that because my fiance right now is kind of on this path. She's never been into yoga or meditation or any of this stuff like briefly in her own way but not really and so she's kind of she's getting ready to do her first ayahuasca retreat she's starting she's just really kind of like in the depths of it right now and so she was we were talking about the same thing and she was saying I just feel like right now I just need discipline I need that she's very watery Pisces kind of boundaryless in that way ethereal Mm. and she needs that grounding structure of ritual and discipline which is great and she's doing a lot more strength training trying to be more in her body we kind of joke that she's just a floating heart because she like forgets she has a body sometimes so trying to feel things in her body and so I think that it, it is hard to kind of prescribe some some universal thing to everyone but one of the things that I told her is that although discipline is great I think beyond that, it's getting to really the root of the discipline, which would be create an intention. So what is your intention that you want to gain from this routine, whether it's a five minute routine, three hour routine, like you're talking about, what is the intention of it? Because sometimes the discipline of showing up and lifting weights every day might not be the best thing for your body because you're on your period or because, you know, something is happening. You're just tired. You've traveled. Maybe that's not really in aligned with the true intention of what you want to do. So I think it's creating an intention and then having discipline around that intention. That is key. The discipline is key. That kind of ties back to that thing I was saying before of setting goals or prioritizing that builds confidence. When you have discipline and structure and you stick to that, then you do start feeling better about yourself because you're kind of like, look at me, I'm doing the thing. I said I was going to do it and now I'm doing it but checking in. So that's the intention is also connecting you back to that intuition piece, checking in with how do I actually feel this morning? How do I actually want to show up? If my intention is to create a more grounded structure feel to my day is the best way for me to do that lifting weights, or is it to sit in silence and feel my breath and, and get really clear about that so that it can be truly aligned. I love that. And I love that, especially because I think that exactly where our intention is makes such a difference in the way that we feel through the process. And it's so telling of, you know, where our headspace is at. An example, like I know that in two different phases of my life, a couple of years ago versus now, I have very similar habits than I did at that time, but my intentions are totally different. So the way I feel about what it is that I'm doing 
is so different, right? Like before, when I was, you know, in a specific workout routine, I felt like I had to, I felt like I had to be in a smaller body to be loved and beautiful and all the things. And now that I logically know and believe in my core that that's not the case and that I'm doing this for me, um, even if it means that I, you know, want to look more toned, whatever it is, even if that's a factor, it's not everything. And I think that totally shifts the way that we feel and see things and, you know, and show up. So I, I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true with food and exercise to where you can be eating. You know, a lot of people talk about this with being plant-based and stuff. Sometimes they find it too restrictive. There's a difference of doing that because you're punishing yourself and you're trying to, like you said, be smaller doing it because there's this element of kind of self-hate there where you're wanting to punish yourself or be different than who you are versus in a loving way of actually, this is just how I love to eat. This is how I love to nourish myself. You might be doing or eating the same exact thing, but the intention behind it really makes a difference in how you metabolize, whether it is actual food, metabolizing the food or just metabolizing the entire experience that you're going through. Yeah. Wow. So true. For someone who, cause we've talked about intention and um, we've touched on mind body connection for someone who's maybe like skeptical of that mm-hmm. way of thinking, or for someone who is like, that sounds nice, but I don't have time to do like yoga and a meditation and also like my five mile run or whatever it is for them what, what would you, what would you say to them? And why has this way of thinking been so beneficial Mm -hmm. for your life? Okay. So one of my favorite things to recommend to people, again, I also recommended this to my fiance and she, I've been doing this practice for years and she knows about it. And same thing. She's more skeptical that way where she believes it because she sees it work in me, but it's sort of like, how, how much does this really work? You know? And that is the five minute journal. I don't know if you're familiar with it. So they have an app. I use the app because I was always traveling, but they also have a physical journal you can get on Amazon or you can buy the app. It's relatively inexpensive. It is super simple. You just list three things that you're grateful for in the morning, three things that you're going to do to make the day great. So those three things you're going to do to make the day great could kind of be like your little goals for the day that build the confidence and then a mantra or just like a little quote of the day that you want to work with. It could be one word. It can be strong. It can be, you know, driven, whatever you want it to be. It can be very, very simple. And then at night you check back in you say three things that made today amazing or brought a smile to your face or however they phrase it. And then one thing I would do differently. So it's really kind of forcing you to look at what, you know, honestly, (laughs) what would you do differently that could have made your day better? And then um, they'll kind of on the app, I'm not sure about the journal itself, but on the app, you can kind of rate how you feel when you go to bed too, good, bad, okay, whatever. And I love the app too, because you can go back and look years, you can see patterns, you can also put photos on it, but that little practice. So she started doing that now three months back. And that honestly kind of springboarded her into this deeper process of realizing she's like, you know, when I do that, when I say those three things that I'm going to do during the day, I really make a point to do them because I want to, to do that for myself. And then also just the gratitude practice. It's, I mean, scientifically proven to improve your mental health and it's not going to be everything, you know, but it does make a little difference. It also, when you are in a darker place, I've, I've done this when I've been really darkly depressed and it, it helps even just in a little way, you're kind of looking for things to be grateful for. So it is opening up your perspective a little bit more. And I think it kind of just helped. And it is called the five minute journal for a reason. It takes five minutes. So I think everyone has an extra five minutes in the morning. They can do that when they're still drinking their coffee. Doesn't have to be this whole ceremonial, you know, crystals everywhere type of thing that we see on Instagram. It's just like a quick, honest check-in with yourself when you wake up and then before you go to bed. Love that. I've never heard of that before. I'm definitely yeah, never heard that one. We no, love, we love, love them. We love a recommendation. <laughs> we love it. And we really like, we're the type of people like you don't just like tell us recommendations. You're like, yeah, sure. We take them. We implement <laughs> yeah. them. We try them. We're big testers. Yeah. Um, so to kind of switch gears to a little bit more about you. Um, so much of your work funds charitable projects. So what are like you contributing towards right now? And how can our listeners contribute if they're interested? Yeah, so Glow was around for nine years. Um, It recently, COVID 
it, it, we took a big hit from COVID and it kind of made me reevaluate everything. So right now, everything I'm doing with Glow is on hold, probably kind of closing that chapter of my life. It still is not a definite thing. I'm still kind of just sitting with it and just feeling into what is best. But I still have the retreat business. So the retreats, 10% of all of the retreats are donated to our scholarship program rather than to the nonprofit since the nonprofit is not currently alive. But yeah, so I guess as far as contributing goes, you can always come on a retreat if you want to do that. Um, the retreats are incredible. It's my favorite way to teach. They are life-changing experiences for everyone. And having the scholarship program is allowing those retreats to be more accessible to everyone. I'll also be, I'm kind of in the works right now of putting on a retreat actually specifically for survivors of any sort of abuse. I'm working with another pretty prominent public figure to put this together as well as a therapist. My mom is also a yoga teacher. Her mom is going to be a really epic event, um, but it will be also totally free. So we're able to have these offerings for free, which ties back to the other new business endeavor, which is the retreat center that we're opening. So we're able to have some of these events be open and accessible for accessible for people who need them most. So as far as contributing to that, I guess there's not, I, we don't really ask for monetary donations or anything, um, but definitely joining the retreat, which is really beneficial for yourself. It allows you to show up better in your own home, community, school, whatever it is that you're in. And then the amount that you're paying is having a big ripple effect on other people that wouldn't be able to afford it. Yeah. Okay. I love that. And yeah, you and your fiance are building something pretty amazing. Can you tell us yeah. about that? It looks so cool. <laughs> like stock on Instagram. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we're so excited. So we bought land in Nicaragua. I've and I've been looking at land around the world for the last 10 years that I've been traveling. I know for some people they think it's like kind of random seeming, but I'm like, no, this is 10 years of searching and looking. Oh and, and I've actually put in offers on other pieces, other places around the world. Something has always happened that it fell through, of lost money on it. Things have always kind of happened that back to what you were saying before in your early 20s you think your life is going one direction and then it changes but it all kind of circles around to work out in the end so her and I actually met in Nicaragua we um are we found an amazing piece of land there and we are now building a retreat center there as well as our home so it's going to be open for everyone um also just accepting individual bookings if you want to just come and not do a retreat, but most of my retreats will be held there and then other teachers are able to book out the space and hold their own retreats as well. So cool. Isn't it kind of amazing when it's like things, I don't know, me and Brennan were just talking about this. It's like it's some you could want something so bad and it's like just not happening and then it happens and you're like, oh, okay, like now I get why it's never happened before but when it's not happening in the past you're so frustrated and you muscle it and you're trying everything to like make it happen and then when you finally get there and you're like oh yeah okay like I'm glad it didn't happen back yeah. then I wasn't ready for it back then like now yeah. I'm the woman who's ready for it and like mm -hmm. it's just we keep we keep recognizing that that's the truth in the moment it's not so easy to accept you're like I just want it to fucking happen already yeah totally it's so true and obviously we could be so freaking hard on ourselves for all those things but we've just been really emphasizing this idea of like being ready and there are moments when you know you're ready and there are moments when you just like really want something and want to be ready um but it's cool to see those distinctions, especially when you can look back on it, obviously be experiencing it is not always easy. But uh, speaking of your fiance, you guys are pretty adorable. So how has this partnership influenced your life outside of your work together? Yeah, so I mean, a huge thing that I didn't even realize until being in a relationship with her that whether it is when you're single and you're constantly, you have that pressure of, I need to find someone, am I ever going to find them? And there's, you're pouring so much energy into this kind of container that is marked relationships or whether you're in a relationship and it's, even if it's not toxic or abusive or these more severe ends of the spectrum, but you just know it's not really right or it's not completely fulfilling or whatever is going on there. You're pouring a lot of energy into it because you're trying to make it something that it's not or you're trying to mask those feelings, you know, all whatever it may be, that when you are really in the right relationship, 
you at least for me, I almost feel like I have this excess of energy because I don't have to be pouring it all into this cup. It's, it, we still put a lot of energy into the relationship, of course, but it, it has this more effortless and easeful kind of flow to it. And there's still work, hard work that can go into it, but it doesn't have the same kind of anxiety around it as a not so healthy or not right relationship or being single and really wanting that and that kind of desperation, whatever it is that's going on. So I think the biggest impact has just been feeling that difference of what it really feels like to be in a healthy, stable, loving relationship and the ripple effects that it kind of has on my other relationships, my relationship with myself, the output that I'm able to do with my work and being able to do more. And I used to feel very, I mean, I I was never really someone that wanted to get married even. So the fact that we are engaged is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and almost feeling like, oh, actually being with someone, I feel like I have more freedom because I I can lean on them for support and they are lifting me up when I need that. I don't feel constrained or suffocated or tied down. I feel like I actually am more expansive and am able to have even more freedom because now there are two of us and it's this kind of buddy system facing the world. Whereas before I did have this feeling of oh, if I do that, like I'm going to lose myself again. I think it was kind of connected to that same fear of losing myself. Whereas being with her, I feel completely myself, which yeah, just gives me more confidence and ability to move in the world in a more authentic way. Oh Oh my gosh. That like touched my heart to no end. That was such a beautiful way. Like if you have ever put it, Yes. Like if you have ever wondered, like, what does love feel like? What, what is love? Obviously everyone's relationship might look a little bit different, but just the way that you described that, I, I, I couldn't have found better words about like, of course you put in effort, of course there's intention, but it feels easy in the sense of when two people are so willing to lift each other up, to just like pour into each other, to challenge each other, to be better versions of themselves and to really like embrace a partnership like the word easy feels like silly to say, but it is easy, you know, because it's funny. I've I've been in a relationship for a long time for, I guess, my age. um, And people have always like asked me to put into words because they're like, oh, you were together through college. Like that's so hard. And like, I've never known how to respond because I'm like, yeah, it's hard because you're not with the person that you want to be with as often as you want to be with them. But in the sense of like, we both never stop putting an effort, you know, um, in the sense of continuing to feel connected while being a little bit further apart. So I just, I think that for anyone that like feels like they give so much of themselves and don't get the same in return or are sacrificing pieces of their dreams, like all that stuff, I just think it puts the idea of just love in general in such a beautiful way. So yeah, I also think it gives a nice hope to people who maybe are not in the right relationship or have been in the past. I know a lot of like again, with the timeline thing in your twenties, you feel like, oh, well, 25, like I, I ha- it has to be the person I'm going to be with forever because I'm like, gonna die alone. <laughs> right, we're so conditioned to think that if you don't find it right now, then like, mm-hmm. you're never going to find it or you're going to be alone mm-hmm. or whatever. And like, I, I, I know for me, like we can want to make it work because it's like, oh, but now I can't get rid of this now like even if it's not right because I'm already whatever age you are but I think it gives a lot of hope to like okay you can let go of a relationship that's not serving you and you most likely will find someone that really allows you to be the best version of yourself Mm -hmm. yeah and trusting not only that process but trusting that you deserve that Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of the time we settle for less because of that fear of what if we don't find someone else you know it doesn't have to be a toxic abusive anything relationship it could just not be the hundred percent and you know that but they're a great person and they're you know a night all they tech all the boxes on paper And so that is almost more scary to let go of that versus someone that is so clearly wrong in the sense of being abusive or toxic or something like that, but just trusting that you are worth the hundred percent everyone is and really knowing that having that hundred percent at any age is going to be so much more valuable than having even 99% at a younger age. Absolutely. Yeah. And honestly, Kayla, something that I noticed, like even people in our lives talk about a lot is because they haven't experienced the type of love that you're describing, right? The type of love that it's so clear that you have by the way that you describe it. 
um, they wonder if it's actually out there or if it's too good to be true. And I think a lot of people feel guilty for considering letting go of something that's either like, okay, or, you know, checks off some boxes or stuff like that, because it doesn't feel like settling since they haven't experienced firsthand evidence that there's more than that. Mm-hmm. And that fear of like, oh, well, what if I sacrifice this? And even if this isn't 100%, um, you know, what if I don't find better than this, you know? So I, I think just the way that you describe it is so beautiful because it, it comes up a lot. And I think especially in your twenties between the fear of not finding someone else, not finding someone else that's quote unquote better. Um, and I think it just instills a little bit of hope in that space. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's connected back to intuition again. It's, I think even if you haven't experienced it, whether it's from your parents or firsthand, you always know, you still always know. And you, sometimes you can be more honest with yourself in hindsight rather than in the moment, but you do always know that it, maybe you wouldn't use the word settling, but you know, like this isn't really the thing, but you feel guilty about it or, you know, whatever it may be, you feel like you want too much or you need too much, but you, you do kind of always know. And so I think it's just continuing to check in with yourself in that way. And just being really honest with those check-ins and knowing that you are completely worth it. My, my last thing on this, but what would you say to someone that is stuck in a place right now where they are almost confusing themselves by what is my intuition actually telling me in terms of a relationship, right? If they feel like they're settling in some points and then in other moments convince themselves that like, you know, no, this is actually good. Like, no, I actually really love this person. Um, and kind of going through that back and forth. What do you think is the difference between just having like some anxieties as you evolve and like questioning all areas of your life versus like, I guess, signs and intuition that this actually isn't right. And like what you said of you, you know, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, of course, I'm not a professional in this, just a disclaimer, but um, at least my opinion would be if you're having those kind of back and forth, like extreme flip-flops, that is kind of a red flag in and of itself. I've personally never had those thoughts even when my fiance and I are going through a really tough time I mean even just going through quarantine and spending that much time with one person and going through everything that we've gone through we've gone through some really difficult times even in the beginning phases that were meant to be the honeymoon phase but there is still never a question of is this right there's a difference of having you know this is really hard and we're putting in more work and we're going through hard stuff versus doubt I've never had doubt with her. Other people, for sure, experience doubt because I think the doubt was kind of your intuition poking its head up being like, uh, you should look at this. Or even just the language of other people I've dated, I've said, oh, I could marry them, you know, because they were they were nice people. There's a difference of I could marry them versus I want to marry you. I'm yeah. you. So it's kind of just looking at those really subtle differences, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that is so powerful, especially, and I think putting it in that perspective too, because I do think sometimes like we have some of us tendencies, right. To like freak ourselves out and like question every piece of our lives. And, you know, even if something could, could be really, really good, you know, being like, well, what if, what if, what if on the off chance it's not, but I think that there's a difference between saying, what if on the off chance this isn't right. And having no evidence to back that up coming from anxiety versus like there are there's this sign and this sign and this sign that this isn't right and choosing mm-hmm. to justify it yes I really just processed that through so anyways go ahead you <laughs> no I just I, I we gotta let her go even though Kayla I would love to talk to you all day I long know, I know. thank you so much for sharing so much of your story with us all your work is incredible I love getting to follow it so everyone please go follow Kale we'll let you pinball that out in a second but before we let you run if you could tell your 20s something year old self one thing what would you tell her oh that's I mean I guess it depends exactly what age I am because I was changing rapidly at every age But um, big thing that I'm still working on now that has showed up a lot lately and a constant practice, again, same as forgiveness, is just trust. It's really trusting whether it is your worth, trusting the process, trusting your intuition, trusting yourself enough to know that you got this. I love that. Yeah. And thank you, Kayla, for trusting in us and coming on our show. 
Um, it really, it's been like such a pleasure. Genuinely, we clearly, we had a whole slew of things that we did not even ask because <laughs> you just gave us so much to work with. Um, but to give you an opportunity to pimp yourself out to our audience, if they want to connect with you, find out more about what you're working on, work with you, whatever it is, go to your retreats. Uh, where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm pretty much only on Instagram. My handle is Kaylava Nielsen. And in my bio, you'll see the links to everything else as far as the retreats, the retreat center, my podcast. And yeah, I'm working currently on my own app right now for my classes. So that will be launching. Yeah, super excited. That will be launching in August. I don't know when this is coming out. So if you want to practice with me, then you can practice with me there very soon. Oh my goodness. So exciting. Kayla, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your sharing your heart with us. This was such a, such an honor, such a treat. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you both. It was awesome. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.